Good morning. We are uh, glad to be with you here this morning. Uh, looking forward to uh, to sharing with you. And uh, Pastor Phil invited me to do this. He gave me the very best text of the whole book. That was, and uh, I I appreciate the opportunity to uh, to share with you. Uh, let me uh, just point out to you that we're. We're looking at Paul's letter to the Philippian church. And just out of curiosity, because I know you've been on a series here, how many of you have read through the book of Philippians? Okay. Pastor has. That's good. Uh, you know, I want to encourage you that you can turn in your homework late. If you haven't read it, you know, if, if you need to make it more interesting... Stick it in your neighbor's mailbox, pull it out, and make believe you're reading somebody else's mail. Okay? But the important thing is, is that you read the book of Philippians, and Paul writes this letter uh, from a prison cell. But at the time that he's writing this, if you look through carefully, you'll see that 17 times... Paul uses the word joy or a derivative of it in his letter to the Philippian church. When I was in the Essexville church, I used to get collect calls from the jail all the time. I never got any inmate who was expressing joy. Paul is expressing joy in the midst of his circumstance. Let me read to you from the text where we're going to focus our attention in a few moments. It might take us a while to get there, but let me share it with you. Fourth chapter begins at the 10th verse. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, through Christ. And so, I just want to back up in your Philippian study and mention the, uh, the preceding chapters. Um, in chapter 1, uh, Paul is talking about developing a habit of joy. Having a habit of joy. And uh, it involves uh, changing our attitude, our thinking patterns, uh, to the point where we think positive, to where we think optimistically. And uh, if, if you would right now, just turn to the person next to you and tell them something that you're thankful for. Jackie, there's nobody in your row. Just tell it to Jesus. Okay. And see now, all of you who are sitting next to your spouse, I hope you said, oh, for you, sweetheart. 
But if you didn't, there's time to turn the homework in late. In a Stanford University study, uh, the difference between happy and unhappy people is not life experience. For the most part, we all experience ups and downs in life. And uh, it could be that uh, right now uh, you may be experiencing some ups or you may be experiencing some downs. I mean, there could be financial issues, relationship issues, there could be uh, work issues, health issues, different kinds of problems. But the difference between happy people and unhappy people is that happy people tend to face life with a positive attitude. You know, like the guy who fell down the stairs. He said, I'm glad that's over. Um, You know, being positive. And so, Paul is encouraging us in that first chapter to think with a spirit of gratitude and joy. And then in chapter 2, he talks about taking a road that's less traveled And that is the path of serving others. Serving other people. um, Following Christ's example. There in chapter 2, you understand that Jesus emptied himself in order that he might be our Redeemer and Savior. And so grateful we can be for God's gift through his Son. And then one of the things that really brings us joy is, is just found in that sacrificial living, doing something for somebody else. Um, and so sacrificial living is important in, a, in our journey for joy. And then in chapter 3, he talks about uh, not the pursuit of happiness, but the happiness of pursuit. The joy we find along the way, in the journey. We're most happy when we're making progress toward a goal. Um, and what is that direction for a believer? For a believer, that direction is, uh, is that personal relationship that we have with Christ in which uh, he's the center of our lives and we're focused on him. And, and that means that we put pride, self-glory, ego, all of those things behind him, and we put our G- eyes on Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith, He is the one that we press ahead for the goal. And so Paul is telling us that we should surround ourselves with that kind of attitude and it will help us when we surround ourselves with people who are like-minded in the same way. And I really believe that's the body of Christ. That's the church that we're to encourage one another, to lift one another up in this journey together. And then in chapter 4, where we're getting closer now to the text. I was in the store just the other day, and I saw this plaque. It said, you can never have too much happy. When was the last time you saw someone or heard someone say, I am so tired of being happy? You know, I am so tired of being optimistic about everything. I just don't want to do that anymore. The The only people I know that, think with that negative thought are country music people. Um, and thinking in a positive way, I mean, can you, can you write a song that says, 
this morning, my wife is here, my truck is here, my dog is here. You know, I don't think that would have sold any records. Um, so being positive is the goal. And uh, being able to be happy is really a choice. Everybody can be happy if they learn to be. And the Apostle Paul is a beautiful example of how someone in Christ can be full of joy at the toughest moments in life. Paul wrote you know, this letter from a jail that, believe me, was not anything like a jail that we would be in today. And uh, you too can be happy. I hope you're not in jail. But I, no matter what the situation is, if you choose to be, if you choose to be, and so, that idea of a habit of thinking and being joyful is, is probably going to come up a lot here in the next few moments. You see, happiness is the results of thinking the right things, doing the right things, saying the right things. Unhappiness is the results of doing the wrong thing, thinking the wrong thing, and saying the wrong and so, if it was a quote Abraham Lincoln, he said, a man is as happy as he makes up his mind to be. So happiness is a habit that we need to choose. So now into this chapter and the portion here in Philippians that, uh, that we're focusing on today, there are, there are four choices I want to suggest that you can make. And uh, these, these choices, uh, consistently done, I believe will help you experience joy. The first one is, is to clear up conflict. Clear up conflict. Um, Paul begins this fourth chapter by speaking out, and he says in verse 2, he says, I plead with Yodica and I plead with Syntyche, to agree with each other in the Lord. Now, I don't know what these two ladies were at odds about. Um, but Paul thought the problem was big enough that he should mention these two people by name. And I also believe that Paul thought that whatever the problem was, it wasn't big enough that it couldn't be resolved. And he adds this to his, his thought. Because he says, in the Lord. In other words, work out this problem, ladies. Think about who you are. What you've been called to be. Who you belong to. And I think about 99% of our conflict could be resolved if we would address it in the Lord. And uh, really what Paul is saying, he's saying, you're a Christian. Act like it. And so he, he pleads with these two to resolve conflict. And if you're looking for joy in your life, 
and you have conflict, I think the motivation ought to be for us to be Christ-honoring and seek to resolve conflict. Solomon said in Proverbs 23, he said, It is to a man's honor to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel. So you can get a lot uh, of unhappiness out of your life if you will take that step that Paul gives to these two ladies. And then second, he says uh, in verse 6 that we should make everything a matter of prayer. That you make everything a matter of prayer. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. You know, it, it is hard to be anxious and worry and have joy at the same time. And so, uh, the good news is, is that uh, you don't have to worry. You don't have to be anxious. You can give it to God. Uh, God's in control. He knows the beginning and the end. And He has a plan for your life. He has a plan for my life. And uh, you need to know that there isn't anything outside of God that He can't handle. He's, he's more than capable. Uh, I don't know about you, but um, I like watching sports. I like watching baseball and, and football. Uh, just the other night, I was watching the Tiger game. The Tigers were ahead by two runs. And uh, we're going into the seventh inning. And they went to the bullpen. Do I need to tell you more? It's so stressful when you see who's running out on the field from the bullpen. And you go, oh, really? Now the game is in the tank. And you get a little anxious. But you know what? Now, thanks to the wonders of ESPN's classic channel, and uh, and uh, the NFL football network, you can watch the same games over and over again. And they're not nearly as stressful. <laughs> you know, if the bases are loaded and Cabrera's up to bat and he strikes out, well, that's okay. We win anyhow. You know? It takes all the pressure off. Well, guess what? Our God, who is Alpha and Omega, knows the beginning and the end, knows you and counts the numbers of hair on my head, knows the outcome. And why do we stress and worry over little stuff when God knows the outcome? And so, He's encouraging us to pray about everything. Now, I've actually heard people scoff at that. They say, well, you know, what does God care about your parking place? Um, you know, there's wars and famine and poverty in this world. Those are the things we ought to be praying about. Well, God can handle those things, but He can also handle your parking place. He can handle the little things of your life. He can handle the relationships that you struggle with, the conflict maybe you just thought you need to resolve. God can work with those. And he says, pray about everything. Um, 
I realize that there are huge problems in the world. I also realize that God is greater and has an ability to do far beyond what I can ever imagine. And we need to be willing to give it to Him. That's why 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all your cares upon Him because He cares for you. It doesn't say cast some of them on Him. It says cast all of them on Him because He cares for you. And we have the privilege of praying about any everything, any and everything. We have the privilege of knowing that when we when things don't go the way that we think they should go, well, then we can be sure that God ultimately knows why they didn't. And that's why Paul said in Romans 8.28, he says, And we know that in all things, all things, God works for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And, and one way that you can choose joy is by choosing to give everything to God. Just, Lord, here's the situation. Here's my need. Here's this relationship that I'm struggling in. And give it to the Lord. Seek Him. Take it to Him. Um, Paul says that when you do this in verse 7, he said, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a joyful place to be? And then my third thing here is is to think good thoughts. Now that sounds really simplistic, but it works and I can speak to that. In fact, uh, this verse is here in chapter 8. Many, many years ago, I committed this to memory because it was so important that I learned to think good thoughts. Paul says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. You know, I, I pointed out earlier that Stadford study or Stanford, I mean, and they said that happy people don't necessarily have better lives than unhappy people. Um, In fact, Anus Nain said this, he said, we don't see things as they are, we see them as we are. Think about that. And Robert Lewis Stevenson, maybe many of you read Treasure Island, when, uh, when he was writing that, uh, that story, um, he spent much of his life, in fact, in a serious health condition. Uh, he was sick most of the time, but he remained incredibly optimistic. One day when he was running a high fever, uh, had coughing attack that he just couldn't control, uh, his wife said this to him. She said, I guess you still believe it's a wonderful day. And Stevenson replied and said, Yes, I do. I will never permit a row of medicine bottles to block my horizon. And unhappy people always have something blocking their horizon. It's 
health, it's relationship, it's financial, it's failed expectations, it prevents people from being joyful. But the fact is that all of those things that are in our way, any of us could choose to focus on trouble if we wanted to. You, know, you, can, you can choose to focus on trouble if you want to. But if you want to be full of joy, then think positive, good thoughts. And uh, this is what Paul says. What it, he says, think on what is true. Think about that. What is true? God loves me. God loves you. God sent his son. I have, I have the promise and the hope of eternal life. God is with me continually. He's working all things together for good in my life. And then Paul says, <laughs> he says, think about what's right. You know, get in the habit of thinking about what's right in life. Uh, maybe the answer is I've got a job. Maybe the answer is, you know, I have a family. Maybe the answer is I'm, I'm part of a great church family. Maybe the answer is uh, I have abundance. Think about what is right. And then uh, instead of saying, you know, and thinking about what's wrong in life, think about what's right. Paul said, Think about what's pure. Uh, it's not hard to figure out what that means because there are so many opportunities out there for us to, uh, to think negative, impure kind of thoughts. And we have to encourage ourselves and hold ourselves to a higher standard. At, at every opportunity, you just need to say, I'm going to allow those thoughts to come into my mind. I'm going to think pure thoughts. I'm going to think about holiness. I'm going to recite Scripture and, and, and encourage myself in, in the Word. And so Paul goes through that list. He says, think about what's lovely. Think about what's worthy to be admired. Think about what is excellent. Think about uh, what's to be praised. And these are the things to think about. And if, if, you want to, if you want joy, if you want to be happy, if you start right there in that passage, you're going to find joy. It'll transform. And then the fourth practice I want to suggest is practice saying, this is good enough. Because Paul goes on to say here in verse 11, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Paul was able to accept any and every situation that he faced, noting that Jesus was there with him, giving him the strength. And, and you can be sure of this as well as, as uh, believers. What, whatever your uh, condition is today, I can guarantee you this. It's going to change. If you're on the mountaintop today, there's a valley down the road 
If you're in the valley today, there is a mountaintop that you're headed toward. That's just sort of the nature of the way this world works. And we, we go through ups and downs, ups and downs. And you, if you can only be happy when you're on the mountain, then you're not going to experience joyful living. And so it's important for us to realize uh, that we, we're always needing to press toward the prize for the high calling in Christ Jesus. That, that's the difference between complacency and contentment. Complacency says, I will accept what I have and I won't try any harder for anything better. That's complacency. But contentment says, even though I haven't reached the finish, I haven't fulfilled all my dreams, I fully appreciate and fully enjoy the step of the journey I'm in right now. And, and I'm encouraging you to look at your situation and to uh, allow your eyes to check contentment. Recognize the presence of God in your life, the details of your life, and accept each day with gratitude. You know, face each moment with a sense of assurance, knowing that whether this is easy or not, you can endure it through Christ who gives you strength. Richard Carlson is a psychologist. He, he wrote a book many years ago. Uh, he was a stress consultant. Maybe some of you have seen or read the book. It's uh, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, and it's all small stuff. Uh, this, this is what he said. He said, most of the destructive mental tendencies... Uh, he has seen in people is that of focusing on what they want rather than what they have. Those who say, I'll be happy once this desire is met, ultimately just find something new to want and delay their happiness a little longer. Carlson goes on to say that there is a way to be joyful. Stop focusing on what you want and focus instead on what you have. And that's really what Paul is talking about here. He's, uh, he's saying that whether he's had a little or a lot, it doesn't matter because he knows that the most important thing of all is the presence of Christ in his life and the assurance of his power to carry him through. That we might know Christ in that same way. And so, learn to live in the moment. Decide to appreciate all there is and appreciate each moment for what it is. Now, when Paul sat down to write this letter, I don't think he approached it as I just did. I don't think he sat down and said, well, I'm going to give you four easy steps to a joyful life. I don't think so. Nor do I think that Paul said, I'm going to write a letter to the Philippian church 
And 17 times I'm going to mention joyful to them, just to let them know that I'm joyful in prison. I don't think that was it either. I think what Paul was doing was uh, Paul was writing so that he could encourage you and I and uh, in those few pages to help us realize that joy isn't the result of pleasant circumstances, but the result of our outlook on life. A life of joy is the result of a habit of developing a choice that you make, a choice to be thankful a choice to serve others, a choice to put Jesus first in your life, and a choice to live in the moment. Happiness is the result of choices you make. So I encourage you to choose a life of joy, to choose Jesus. And the great thing is that you can begin right now. Right this moment. And the great thing about that is, is that you can forget yesterday and you don't have to worry about tomorrow. But take this moment right now and appreciate all that God has done for you. The incredible way that He has blessed you. You can be happy, you can be joyful, you can be full for the rest of your life. So as the Apostle Paul took these moments from his Philippian jail to share with some friends whom at the Philippi church who he loved and, and appreciated, he poured out his heart in the midst of his situation and it expressed great joy. So I want to take this opportunity to do that today. I want to pour out my heart to some people that I love and appreciate. Um, as most of you know, on April 10th of this year, my youngest grandson, Isaac, at the age of 15, chose to take his own life. That was a valley. And uh, Isaac is uh, my youngest grandson. Uh, He was an outgoing kid. He was a good student. He was an incredible athlete. He was uh, a leader of his uh, small group at church. Um, His grandpa had the privilege of baptizing him two years ago. And on April 10th, for some reason, he chose to take his own life. But I refuse to live with grief to the point that it debilitates me. What I recognize is that God is sovereign. And although I don't understand why, God does. (laughs) 
This is the first time I've ever preached in an orange shirt. Um, I wore it because my grandson's favorite color is orange. Um, Isaac uh, had only lived in Naperville for two years, but he made an incredible impact on the people there. Um, The day of visitation at the funeral home was Good Friday. And on Good Friday, of course, there was no school, so I almost think the entire student body showed up. There were young people through this room, into that room, across the hallway, into this room, out that room, out the front door, and down the handicap ramp in front of the place. And it was like that for several hours. I watched my son and my daughter-in-law greet all of these people, hug kids, pray with them. Uh, it It was a tough day. Isaac uh, was, was, as I mentioned, he was a credible athlete. When he first went over there, he decided he was going to wrestle. And uh, he pinned every kid he wrestled against. He was just good at it. And then the following season, he decided that he wanted to be a gymnast, of all things. And you, know, you just don't be a walk-on as a gymnast. But he could do a flip, he could do the rings, parallel bars. He was just... Incredible. In fact, one of the videos that I have stored on my phone is, is him and the meet competing and the, the cheering on that he was getting from fellow students and whatever, and I'm sure that I will watch that often. Um, and then uh, the day of the funeral was an incredible day, and my, uh, my grandson... Um, because this was his favorite color, um, one, of, one of the girls at the high school wanted to do something for, for Isaac. And so in the course of a conversation with the family coming up to that, um, Isaac's older brother, Asher, who's two years older, we were talking about the idea of maybe a memorial gift of some kind. And Asher said, why don't we give it as a camp scholarship because Isaac loved going to camp. And so this girl at school came up with these little orange bracelets that say oranges for Isaac with a couple crosses on either side. And uh, this past Friday night, three charter buses left the church to take kids to go to camp. When Isaac first moved to uh, Naperville, uh, Ken and Jen's house is right close to downtown. You can walk there. And uh, Isaac, with a couple of new friends, went down to Mod Pizza. Um, There is a franchise in Brighton right now. Maybe more will be coming, but Mod Pizza is a 
a franchise where you can go in and order the size of uh, pizza that you want, and then there is this buffet of things that you can go down and have them put anything on that pizza based on the size of the dough you get. And Isaac, when they went in there the first time with his friends, the manager, Eric, greeted him and said, Hi, fellas. And Isaac was the only one who responded to him. So when they went through the line, got up there, and he said to Isaac, he said, because you responded to me with a greeting, he said, drinks on me. So he got free drink. So Isaac started taking his friends back there, and now Isaac gets free everything. Um, So on the day of the funeral, my son was thinking, you know, we really don't have an adequate place to invite people to come afterwards. He said, maybe we could just go to Mod Pizza. So he spoke with Eric and said, you know, would, would you mind if after the funeral service we bring some folks to the restaurant for a, for a luncheon. And he said, we'd be honored to do that. He was so honored to do that that he and all of his staff came to the funeral that day. And then afterwards, we all went through the line and paid zero. They paid for the whole thing. Um, I have on my phone a picture that I'd taken when Isaac and I and Uh, His brother had gone there several uh, months before of Isaac sitting across the table in front of his pizza, which is a carnivore's delight. I mean, it's... And uh, I said to Eric, I said, is there any chance that we could get Isaac's picture up on the wall? Because they have pictures of other people who would come in and order things. And he said, yeah, he said, send me that picture, and I'll see what I can do with that. So um, here about three weeks ago, my son calls me on the phone. He says, Dad, he says, I need you to pray for me. He says, we're going to do a tough thing. He says, we're going to go to Mod Pizza. And he said, we're going to put his picture up on the wall. And I thought, oh, okay. And... uh, As it turns out, they're putting Isaac's pizza on the wall. You can go to Mod Pizza and order an Isaac. The the thing that my hope and prayer is that for these kids who went to camp, that in some way Isaac's life is going to touch them because they're going to meet the same Jesus Isaac knew. My prayer is that as this Isaac pizza goes through the franchise and ends up on the wall in different stores, that the story of Isaac will go with it. That teens and parents might open up a conversation about suicide. And it's amazing how fast a conversation can turn. I went to buy this shirt last night. I'm looking around in the department. You know, it's not easy to find a shirt that fits someone that's as trim as I am. 
And uh, so this lady came over to help help us, and um, she said, why an orange one? And I said, well, how long do you have? She said, well, I'm here till 9 o'clock. <laughs> so I had an opportunity to tell her the story. She wasn't quite crying when I left, but pretty close. So, for me, I know that at Christmas will be different. I'll miss a college graduation. I might miss performing a wedding ceremony that I would have looked forward to. I did have the joy of the baptism. And I have the joy of heaven that's just ahead. But I refuse to let evil defeat us, defeat me. And I, and I intend to, uh, to give God glory because I believe that we serve a sovereign God who knows the beginning and the end. He knows everything that's happening in my life and in yours. And, and Paul just puts together it in, in this chapter, these powerful tools. He tells, clean up the conflict. Get rid of that stuff. Give your life in service and sacrifice to other people. That's where the joy is at. He says, focus upon good things and practice saying this is good enough until I see Jesus. I'm going to keep working toward the goal. And I believe you will, too. Pray with me. Father God, we want to thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. And even as uh, the words of the Apostle Paul strike our eyes on the page and deep into the minds and hearts, we want to be able to say that today we could close the door on yesterday and we could begin today to think about things that are pure and honest and just, and things that are worthy of praise, and to, to lift up our every concern to You, knowing You are more than able. So Lord, for those here today who need to turn a corner and find joy in their life, might they visit this passage often, whether they're on the mountaintop or in the valley, be able to say, Lord, you're enough. This is enough on the journey to where I go. And I thank you for that in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.